And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. We're in a series called The Power of Personal Choices, and today I want to talk to you about some choices that Hannah, a lady in the Old Testament, made, some things that we can learn from her life. See, we live and we die by our choices. By our choices, we're blessed, and by our choices, sometimes we're cursed. And today, we're going to look at three choices that Hannah made. Hannah ended up being the mother of Samuel, the premier prophet and judge and priest of Israel. God used Samuel in a very strategic way. I think, other than Moses, he's probably the most powerful Old Testament figure because he's the one that paved the way for eventually there being a King David. But he might never have been if his mother hadn't made some very, very crucial and key choices. We're going to begin reading at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Let's go over to verse 4. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. Everybody say a double portion. He would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, meaning Penina, also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Now, if you'll notice verse 2, It says that this man, Elkanah, had two wives. I think we just need to stop and and give some explanation as to why he had two wives. Folks, God ordained marriage as the first unit of society. Before there was a hospital, there was a marriage. Before there was a government there was a marriage. Before there was a school, there was marriage. Before there was even a local church, there was the institution of marriage. And God intended that marriage be a lifelong commitment between a man and between a woman. It was a relationship that God says, I want to bless. Now, I realize today our courts have said marriage is not necessarily between a man and a woman. And I'm not here trying to make a political statement, but what I, my responsibility is to make a biblical statement. I'm your Bible teacher. I'm your Bible preacher. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we find this man named Elkanah having two wives, and that was not God's highest and best. 
It wasn't God's highest and best because it was just simply a sign that he lived in a depraved civilization. In fact, you'll remember the book of Judges, which precedes Samuel. The book of Judges ends with this verse. It says, and in that day there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. It sounds a little bit like America today, doesn't it? Every man does what's right in his own eyes. And the fact that Elkanah was married to two women at the same time does not mean that God endorses polygamy. It speaks to the fact that Elkanah fell short in trusting God. And, and here's, here's my opinion. The Bible doesn't say this, but it seems that Elkanah had two wives because he loved his first wife, Hannah. He loved her dearly, but Hannah could not have children. And they lived in an agricultural society. In other words, he owned a big farm. When you own a farm, there's a lot of chores to do, aren't there? So what have farmers done back over the years? They would get married and have lots and lots of children to get all the work done. So here, here's a man, he's a farmer, he's got a wife that he loves, but she can't have children, and so he marries another woman named Penina, and Penina is not loved by Elkanah. Penina is a utilitarian wife. Her role in this family was solely to bear children. Now think about that for a minute. Think about the tension that probably existed in that household. I mean, you know, I'm married to one woman, and we have tension sometimes in our house. Can you imagine what it was like Here's one woman that's loved, but she can't have children. Here's another woman, she's unloved, but she can have children. Man, I believe it was all Elkanah could do just to keep peace in that house sometimes. In fact, verses 6 and 7 says this. It says, her rival, meaning Penina, Penina also provoked her severely. Say those three words with me, provoked her severely that 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 in the hebrew that phrase means to arouse painful thoughts and emotions and feelings in another person everybody look at me i want to ask you a question have you ever had anybody who picked on you who bullied you who tried to make life miserable for you who tried to arouse painful emotions and painful feelings who tried to make you feel like you were the 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 dust of the earth who tried to make you feel like you had no reason to exist Have you ever experienced that? That's what this lady was doing to Penina. And I believe that the reason that, I mean, this is what Penina was doing to Hannah. And I believe the reason Penina did this, the reason she bullied Hannah is because she was really angry at Elkanah because he didn't love her. She was jealous of Hannah. She was jealous of the fact that she received her husband's love and that Penina did not. And so she took it out on Hannah. Have you ever had somebody who was angry about us? other things in their life and they took it out on you that's exactly what's going on here and the amazing thing to me and i've read this 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 chapter hundreds and hundreds of times and it's always amazed me that hannah though she battled apparently depression and though she had this turmoil going on in her soul she did not react harshly to penina i don't know about you if somebody starts bullying me 
You know, I'm going to try to be like Jesus. I'm going to try to turn the other cheek. But Jesus didn't tell us what to do the second time, did he? No, I think we're supposed to keep turning the other cheek, but, but something in me would want to get back at Penina. I mean, this thing was going on over and over and over and over and over again. She's bullying her. She's making life no fun. I mean, there's something inside me I want to say, hey, enough's enough. I how all me can stands and me can't stands no more. If you say that again, Penina, you're going to wish that you hadn't. Do I get a witness? Let me share with you three choices that Penina, three choices that she made. The first choice, and this is really important, the first choice Hannah made was to overcome anger and bitterness. Listen to me, put your ears on. Anger and bitterness has tripped a lot of people up. In fact, perhaps anger and bitterness has tripped you up. I know it's tripped me up before. Anger and bitterness ultimately tripped up the prophet Jonah. You'll remember, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Tarshish, uh, excuse me, not to Tarshish, I want you to go to, to Nineveh and preach the gospel to the Assyrians. They need to be saved or else I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh. And he says, no, God, I'm not going to do that. And instead, he sails to Spain, to Tarshish. And you remember, he got into a storm, a big fish swallows him. He repents while he's in the fish. The fish throws him up on, on, on dry ground, and he finally makes his way. He repents before God. He makes his way to, up there to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel. For 40 days, he preaches, and what happens is he, he, he was amazed. The people repented, and there's revival. The Bible says from the king on down, everybody put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented of their sins, and God relented from destroying that City, But you know what? Jonah was angry. He was mad because he hated the, the Assyrians. And the reason he hated the Assyrians, the reason he hated the, the dwellers of Nineveh is because the Assyrians in the Bible are also known as the Babylonians. And it was the Babylonians who raped and pillaged Israel and Judah. And they had incarcerated and taken captive millions of, of Jewish people. And they had killed millions of Jewish people. And I want you to know, this man, hates them with a passion and he doesn't want God's mercy and grace to be seen in their lives however God is a God of grace and mercy look at what Jonah says in chapter 4 verse 1 and following this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be a dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Folks, bitterness is unforgiveness on steroids. Bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. As somebody said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other guy dies. Because when I become bitter, it's somebody, it doesn't hurt them, it only hurts me. And you know you're struggling with bitterness if you keep reliving something painful that someone has done to you, and in your mind's eye, in your imagination, you fantasize about getting back at them. 
and you think about what they've done and you relive the pain and the horror of what they did and in your mind's eye, you just spend your time meditating on, boy, one day I'm going to get them. One day I'm going to catch them down a dark alley and I'm going to make them pay. Folks, that is bitterness. Hannah had every reason to be bitter and to be angry at Penina, but she, but she, she says, I'm not going to give this thing back to Penina in the same way she's treating me, but instead, I'm going to take it to God. Look at, you don't, you don't have it on the screen here, but verse, verses 9 and 10, let me read this to you. It says, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Now watch verse 10, this is very important. And she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. I want you to hear that. She was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. The only way that you're going to get a freedom from anger and from bitterness and resentment is to give it to God. That's what she did there. She was giving that pain to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I wish I could tell you that that, that you would find deliverance from anger and from bitterness that quick. Maybe you do. But my experience is that when I've gotten angry and I find bitterness in my heart, it's taken me time to go before God and say, God, this hurts. This was not right what so-and-so did. Lord, this is painful. This is like a thorn in my soul. And Lord, I confess everything inside me wants to get back at him. But I know that's not your way, God, and I know your way is best. So I give you this pain. I give you this frustration. I give you these things I can't control. God, I'm giving it all to you in the name of Jesus and I thank you Lord God because I'm asking you to set me free God forgive me help me to forgive them but God first of all forgive me for my reaction to what they've done Years ago, somebody wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And The Bait of Satan is just that. You're actually doing the right thing. You're minding your own business. And somebody comes along and they mistreat you. And then suddenly you and I are left burdened with our reaction to what they've done. It's the bait of Satan. The devil wants you to, 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 to fall prey to the, to the works of the enemy. I'm telling you, you can give that stuff to God and you can actually say, Lord God, I will to forgive them. See, forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is costly. It cost Jesus everything on the cross. He died for our sins. And when you forgive another person, it, 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 it see, words sometimes don't mean anything if our heart's not in it. When my heart in and I'm saying, I forgive this person for what they've done. I'm tearing up the notes of indebtedness that I think they owe me. I'm tearing up the IOUs and I'm saying, I fully forgive you even as God in Christ has forgiven me. Somebody say hallelujah. The only way, the only way you and I can escape the clutches of bitterness and unforgiveness is by experiencing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God that Hannah overcame bitterness. Now let me just say, make one more point about this before we move on. As you and I walk through life, you're going to have people who on purpose are going to use you and abuse you and treat you wrong. You're going to have people that steal from you. You're going to have people that lie about you, that lie to your face and lie behind your back. 
and they purpose to hurt us. And then you're also going to have people who don't really mean. They don't, they don't set out to hurt you. But it just happens because we live in a fallen world. Here's the deal. You are going to have hundreds if not thousands of opportunity to grow bitter and resentful. On the cross, I want you to see Jesus hanging. Blood is dripping down his torso. A thorn, a crown of thorns is in his head. Jesus is hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth. He's lost lots and lots of blood. His bodily fluids are being depleted. And so he cries out and says, I thirst. And the Bible says that the Roman soldiers gave him some myrrh to drink. One translation says they gave him gall to drink. I'll tell you what it was. It was a crude moonshine that was made by the Roman soldiers. They gave him this, 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 this gall that was made to dull the senses, but it's very bitter. The Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus put that stuff in his mouth, but he spit it out. He spit the bitterness out. Sometimes as you go through this life, you cannot help the fact that bitterness gets in your mouth. Sometimes you can't help the fact that that, that sometimes something rises up inside you and you want to get back at somebody. You can't control that. But you don't have to swallow it either. I'm telling you, you don't have to ingest it. Glory to God. The second choice that Hannah made is she chose to overcome fear. See, I I think it would have been real easy for this lady. This has been going on year after year after year. Her heart's breaking. She can't have children. Penina is making her miserable. She's provoking her. She's arousing all kinds of negative emotions in her. Hannah is depressed. Hannah doesn't know what else to do. It would have been real easy for her just to say, well, you know, God's not going to come through for me. God has failed me. I can't trust him. I'm not going to believe him to do anything. I'm doomed never to have children. Folks, in Mark chapter 4, the disciples were told by Jesus to get in a boat and cross to the other side, and things did not go so well. Look at this with me. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 and following. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. They were in the will of God. They were doing exactly what God told them to do. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although the other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat and his head was on a cushion and the disciples woke up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Have you ever been in a difficult spot? Have you ever, has it ever seemed like you were going to capsize? It looked like the storms were going to just do you under and you're looking around for God saying, God, Jesus, where are you? Lord, it's me. Jesus, where are Jesus, wake up. Jesus, wake up. We're going to drown. Don't you care that we, do you, you want us to die? Come on, wake up, Jesus. And Jesus wakes up and he says, New International Version, silence, be still. King James Version, peace, be still. And the Bible says, 
Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Why do you have no faith? What did the disciples struggle with? Jesus said, let us cross to the other side. He didn't say, let us go get in a storm and die. He said, we're going to cross to the other side. But they got in the middle of that storm and the waves are breaking over the bow of the boat and they forgot for a minute what he had said and they start thinking, we're going to die. We're not going to make it. This is not going to work out. Everybody listen to me this morning. There's some of you this morning, you've been having those kind of thoughts. This is not going to work out. Nothing's going to come together. I might as well throw in the towel. I'm telling you, Jesus did not tell you to go into the middle of the lake and to drown. He said, let us cross to the other side and he's going to be with you. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Glory to God. Fear has gripped their hearts. Jesus asked them in verse 40, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? Folks, fear is not the same thing as a full-blown panic. Some people, bless their hearts, they suffer from panic attacks. Panic is that sudden, overwhelming, unreasoning fear that overtakes you. And it may be real or it may be imagined, but it overtakes you and you can't focus on anything else. You can't do anything else, but, 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 but give place to it. Folks, while some people suffer with panic, let me tell you what most of us do. Most of us, when it comes to fear, we battle a seed of fear, which is literally a low condition that irritates and distracts and keeps us from truly enjoying life. Many people... Many of us, we battle with a little bit of fear. Psychologists call it a free-floating anxiety. We battle with this thing down inside. And so what we do is we put on a happy face. Everybody, let me see your happy face. Come on. Put on your happy face. And we go into a room and we put on our happy face and we're having discussions with other people and we've got on our happy face and and we're trying to go through our day and keep our happy face on. But all the time, that gnawing anxiety is just, just working on against us on the inside and we can't really enjoy ourselves or what we're doing. And some people have been so worried and fearful They've been that way from birth. Anybody have any ancestors that spent time worrying or in fear? Let me just, yeah. Some of us have learned from infancy to worry. And we think that is normal life. We think that is just normal to be eaten up on the inside with care and anxiety and worry and frustration. Let, let me ask you some questions this morning that will help you determine whether or not you wrestle with fear. Here you go. Do you ever think or believe or say any of the following? I don't feel that I'm as good as other people. Do you ever think or believe or say, I don't measure up to other people? Do you ever think or believe or say, I will never have enough. I will always lack material things. Let me just pause right there and say, if you think or say it 
or believe it. In the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to arise and say, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And in the name of Jesus, I rebuke a poverty mentality. I rebuke any spirits of poverty. God is supplying all my need according to his riches and glory. I have all and abound. He who started a good work in me is going to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. And I'm simply giving you what the word of God says. Amen. Let me ask you this. Do you ever think, do you ever believe, or do you ever say, I have a sense that something bad is going to happen in my life? I have a forbidding sense that something horrible is going to happen. I have a good buddy, and for two weeks straight, I worked with him for two weeks straight, He'd come into work and he'd say, you know, I just believe I'm going to have a car accident. Tuesday, I just believe I'm going to have an automobile accident. Wednesday, I just believe I'm going to have an accident. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Guess what happened the following Monday? He had an automobile accident because he had faith. He had faith that something was going to go wrong. Dear ones, just because the old demon powers of hell whisper in your heart or in your ears that something bad is going to happen doesn't mean that you have to receive it. You can arise and say, no, no, something good is getting ready to happen to me. Blessings are getting ready to happen to me. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And then in verse 6, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He didn't say heartache and ruin and bankruptcy and car accidents are going to follow me. Come on, he said, goodness and mercy are going to follow me. Dear ones, if you ever think or believe or say words like this, I will never succeed, I am doomed to failure. If you ever think or believe or say words like this, others are going to reject me and disapprove of me. When I walk in that room, I know they're not going to accept me. I know they're not going to embrace me. I know they're not going to reject me. Everybody look at me. If, if, if you're, if you can say yes to any of those questions, you may be fighting a low level grade of fear and anxiety within you. And the good news is that you can get rid of those thoughts. You can get rid of the attacks of the enemy. You can get rid of stinking thinking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, one of those disciples who was in that boat that day, his name was John. John, and his brother James had anger problems. They were called the sons of thunder, the sons of Bonerges, the son of thunder. They got so mad that the Samaritan people had rejected Jesus Christ and the gospel message that they asked Jesus, Lord, should we call thunder down on them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. So here's this son of thunder. Here's this angry disciple who was in the boat that day. And I'm sure fear gripped his heart. I want you to fast forward many, many years in the future. 
Look at what this man writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is that son of thunder. This is the man that's quivering in his boots in the boat that day. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Somebody say hallelujah. You say, well, Terrell, how in the world do I get free of fear? I'll tell you what I do. I do two things. Number one, I saturate myself with the knowledge of how much God Almighty loves me. I saturate. I, I, yeah. I don't know what you think about when you're not doing anything. And I realize we guys have a nothing box. And I know I've taught on that. Women don't have a nothing box. They're always thinking about something. But guys, we really do have a nothing box sometimes. And my wife will say, what are you thinking about? And I'll say nothing and she'll get upset because she's not, she's not made that way. But I try not to go to that nothing box too much. If I come to a stoplight, often I'll close my eyes. I'm not, I'm not surfing the web and I'm not checking on all my text messages and everything else. I'll close my eyes and I'll just start quoting Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor things present nor things to come, height, depth, no other creature can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. There may be people out there that don't love me. There may be people out there who don't agree with me. There may be people out there who have a different perspective. But I know this. God Almighty loves me and Jesus Christ died for me and Jesus Christ is coming again for me and God Almighty loves you and Jesus died for you and Jesus is coming again for you and the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Can you say hallelujah? That's the first thing I do. I keep myself, I keep reminding myself how much God loves me. I'm the apple of God's eye. God's got good plans for me, plans for good and not for evil to give me a future and to give me a hope. God's at work in ways I can't see. God's got plans that I haven't even thought about yet. I'm excited for Ryan and Andrea. I'm excited not for us, but for them. I'm excited because this is the fulfillment of what's been in Ryan's heart for, for, I know for at least 18 months, maybe longer. I'm excited for them to get to, to go to Seattle. God bless them. Amen. But see, they're going out there is bigger than just them looking for a senior pastorate. They didn't want to just go. They wanted to be sent. See? And God has got big plans for Arlington Assembly of God where they're going to become pastors on May the 15th. But he's got big plans for Evangel Assembly of God. This thing is bigger than me. This thing is bigger than you. This thing is bigger than any of us. See, God's at work. And God has already called some people to come and, and be our worship pastors and to be our administrative and, and media pastors. God has already called some people. And you know what my job is, and I would ask for all of you to pray for me and help us along with our board, is, is, is we just got to hear from the Holy Ghost and work with Him because God's at work. And folks, there are things, it's easy when we're all here on Sunday morning and we're in one mind and one accord and, oh, the worship's just flowing. Our God is awesome. 
Maker of the whole world. Keeper of the... How does it go, Gary? By his stripes I'm healed. My God is awesome. But um, today I am forgiven. But my God is awesome. Sing it. Awesome. Awesome. My God is awesome. 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 Hallelujah. Makes you want to shout. But let's fast forward. It's now 3 a.m. on Monday morning. You can't sleep. You got to go to work. You know, you got pressures because you got a meeting with your boss that you're not looking forward to. You just had a review and that wasn't so good. You've got more things to do than you can do and you can't sleep. At that point in time, your emotions are not wanting to sing about the awesomeness of God. You're singing, oh my God, I need help. I need help. 1st thing I do is I wrap myself in the knowledge that God loves me. The second thing I do is I wrap myself, I remind myself of the promises of God on a regular basis. I go to Hebrews chapter 13, and we don't have these scriptures on the screens, but you just, just stay here right, right with me. I go to Hebrews 13, where Jesus says, never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? Oh, we do have that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's 3 a.m., you can't sleep. And you start thinking about this problem, and you start, how am I going to pay this bill? And what am I going to do about this? And how in the world is this going to work? And, you know, and, and hopelessness and despair will try to jump on you. You got to say, no! Jesus said, never am I going to leave you or forsake you. So I can say with confidence, Jesus, you're my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalms 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 46 says, God's our refuge and strength. A very present help. A very present help in time of trouble. Man, I'll read that and I'll say, Holy Spirit, would you draw a word picture in my heart? I want you to, I want to see, Lord, with the eyes of my heart, not with these physical eyes, but with the eyes of my heart. I want to see Jesus being a very present help. I know. And then I'll start thinking about how the Holy Spirit, Jesus called him the helper. Jesus called him the paraclete. Jesus called him the one that comes along beside you and does for you what you can never do for yourself. And I say, thank you, Holy Spirit, because you're my helper. Angels of God are ministering spirits to those of us that are heirs of salvation. And I'll say, God, I thank you for sending your angels. I may not be able to see them, but I thank you that the angels are doing warfare on my behalf. I thank you that the angels are working today on my behalf in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 
Isaiah says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you'll keep your mind stayed on me because you trust in me. Isaiah 41 says, so do not fear because I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It says every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the service of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. Jesus Jesus, just before he went back to heaven. You can take that scripture down. Jesus, just before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he looked at those disciples. They didn't really have a clue. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. They still don't quite get it. He says, my peace I give unto you. Paul, my money clip, I give unto you. (laughs) I know your address, just remember that. My, (laughs) oh, he gave it to KK. I'll never get it back now. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. You cannot give away something you don't have. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give it unto you. Let not your heart. Oh, we're, oh God, oh God, please. Take this trouble away from me. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Oh, I don't know if I can bear up under this. Oh God, oh God. That's not what Jesus said. He says, you're the one. Don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. My peace I've given unto you. My responsibility is say, heart, be not troubled. Emotions, be not afraid. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God's not given you and me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound. He didn't say that God's given you the spirit of upset. He didn't say God's given you the spirit of frustration. God's not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love. And a sound, sound mind. Let me share with you a third choice that Hannah made. Hannah chose to fight despair. Everybody look at me because I want you to hear this and get this in your hearts. In this old world, you're going to have to choose to fight against despair. Despair is the depletion of hope. Despair Makes you want to throw in the towel. Hannah could easily have chosen and say, you know what? I'm never going to have a child. This is never going to end. I got to get away from this bullying from Penina. I'm just going to give up. That's all there is to it. 
Dear ones, did you know that the Apostle Paul even faced despair? Now, I would remind you before we look at this scripture that Paul wrote over half the New Testament. He founded most of the churches in the New Testament. He was a mighty apostle of faith. But look at what he says here in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure above strength. Now watch this. So we despaired even of life. He says, I thought I was going to die. I didn't think we're going to make it out of this problem. He says, we despaired even of life. And everybody look at me. Does it surprise you that such a a great man of faith like the Apostle Paul even had to battle despair? Sometimes people will say to me, well, pastor, if I just had more faith, I wouldn't battle despair. If I was just uh, more spiritually minded, if I was more holy, if I was this, that, or the other, then I wouldn't encounter despair. Hear this. If you ever face your face hopelessness, if you ever find yourself battling despair, you know what it means? It doesn't mean that you're not a person of faith. It doesn't mean that you're unspiritual. It means that you're human. Let me try it over here. It means that you're human. That's all it means. Glory to God. But our God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present what? Help in time of trouble. Glory to God. Mm. I'm going to ask Norm to come and Andrea to come. and Let me close with a story. Kathy and I are the parents of three beautiful daughters. And our baby daughter, Kristen, and her husband, Adam Clinch, reside in South Carolina. They live in Charleston, South Carolina. And Adam is a wonderful son-in-law. In fact, he serves as a coastal engineer, and he's a certified scuba diver. Any scuba divers here? One, two, three, four. Well, you guys, I'm sure, can identify with, with what I'm going to share. Adam has told me that there have been a few times that he's been diving, and he will find himself in water that is so dark and murky And he's so far down that he cannot even see his hand in front of his face. He says he keeps a flashlight, and then he has a backup flashlight with him when he's diving. But he says there comes that time that he can't see his hand in front of his face. And he says when you get disoriented like that, he said you have to fight panic overtaking your whole system. And he says, divers are taught when you can't see your hand in front of your face. Here's the problem. You, you, you get disoriented. You don't know if you're swimming up or swimming down or swimming sideways. And he says, here's one of the things that they teach you to do several things. But he says, one of the things they teach you to do is to reach out and try to find which way the bubbles are escaping from your tank which way they're going because bubbles are always going to go up. And if you're emitting bubbles and they're going this way, guess what? Your turn to go down. And if bubbles are going this way, 
that means that you're sideways. And he says you have to be very deliberate and very mindful at that point just to take some deep breaths and be calm and reorient yourself and start finding. And he says when you can't see the bubbles, you just have to put your hands out and feel which way they're going. And he says if you'll follow the bubbles, it'll lead you to the surface. Everybody look at me. There are times in this old life that life kind of makes us feel like we're upside down. There are times that we get all disoriented and we wonder what in the world's going on. I think Hannah went through some of that. But the reason she was going through it The Bible says that God had closed her womb. The reason she went through it is because God had something really big in store for her. But she couldn't throw in the towel and she couldn't give up. She had to say, Lord, I'm believing you because you're working my life to willing to do of your good pleasure. And I praise you, Lord God, I'm giving you all the junk. God, I'm giving you the despair. I'm giving you the fear. I'm giving you the bitter hatred God I'm giving it to you and I may feel disoriented but God you're bigger than these problems and you're making everything work together for my good and I'm going to stand it may seem a feeble way but I'm going to stand in faith and I'm going to believe you to do what nobody can do glory to God glory to God life is filled with choices We're blessed by our choices, and we're cursed by our choices. I want everybody to stand all over this house. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody moving around. If you say today, Terrell, I'm just kind of confused. I'm disoriented. Feel like I'm drifting aimlessly. Folks, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit knows how to help you get back on track. The Holy Spirit knows how to help you. I'm going to ask the members of our altar team to come and stand across the front. And as they're coming, I'm just going to ask you to slip out from where you're standing and come down here and let one of these men or women pray for you and minister to you. In Jesus' mighty name. You say, Pastor, I'm just kind of confused. I'm just kind of discombobulated. I'm just not sure about which direction I should be going. And and, 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 and I'm having to fight some of these negative emotions. These altars are open for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just We're just going to take just a minute. Then we're going to sing. We're going to take just a minute more with this. Come on. These altars are open. Now I want to give a second altar call. And if you are suffering in your body, I believe God wants to heal some people today. If you're suffering in your body, on Tuesday evening, I was in my office at home Tuesday evening, and I'd just gotten off the, off the phone praying with a guy who lives in another town. And as I continued in that attitude of pray, prayer, I just heard the Holy Spirit saying, I want to heal some people today. I want to, so if you're suffering in your body in any way, come on, come, come quickly, come quickly. If you're suffering in your body, come quickly in the name of Jesus. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. 
We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.